This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Booksblow, JLA, New World Order, DC Essential Edition. Satellite in my eyes Like a diamond in the sky How I wonder Satellite strong from the moon And the world your balloon Keeping time for the mother station Hello, 
Welcome to iFanboy Booksplode, JLA New World Order, DC Essential Edition. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi. The Booksplode is our book review show that the patrons unlocked over at patreon.com slash iFanboy. Our bi-monthly show where we talk about a collected edition or a graphic novel or a trade paperback or however you want to call it. Something outside the regular monthly grind. <laughs> and we've been using it to ex- explore our childhoods. My son brought some book from home and he was like, yeah, that's a graphic novel. And I was like, who said that word to you? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, with the library, I was like, that's comic books. And he's like, I know. I go, I just need you to understand. Those are comics. Was it a 20-page book? I don't know what it was, but no. it was just like somebody had like, like, somebody said it's a graphic novel and not comics. And I was like, uh, I, I will not have this in my house. I get you. I understand. Good for you. Yeah. So, as we mentioned on our Pick of the Week show about this episode, we went back and forth on which one we were going to do next. We had a plan... And then a second book came along, we're like, oh, no, let's do that one. And then this book came along, we're like, oh, no, let's do this one. And then eventually we had to settle on doing JLA. But it was a, it's, it was a good choice because it did come up recently on the podcast. Someone wrote, wrote a question in, an email about it. And it, we had a long discussion about it. And I realized I hadn't probably read this since they put those hardcovers out, however long ago that was. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. I think I read it whenever we did the sh- show. We did a video show about it, which means that it was like probably at least a decade ago. At least a decade ago. So this collection is a new collection from DC, the DC Essential Edition. It includes JLA 1 through 9 and JLA Secret Files number 1, all written by Grant Morrison. Majority of the art by Howard Porter. Also, is it Oscar Jimenez? Jimenez. Yeah, is the other artist that does a two-issue two uh, story here. This is a seminal work for many reasons, both personal and comic-wise. It came out in 1997. Sort of smack dab in the middle of a change in comics. This is a book that we'll, we'll, we'll discuss in a minute that has its feet both in the early 90s aesthetic of comics and design things and also sort of it's, it's ushering in the, the quote-unquote modern age. Well, this is interesting because it, it dovetails very much with uh, the Blue Superman book that we, we talked yes. about not yes. too long ago. Yes. And I think where with that one – what we saw is a book that was like old books, but starting to be modern. I think this is an old book that start uh, that is that is a modern book that you know took place earlier. So it's got elements of of earlier comics. That sound right? The writing style could happen now. Absolutely, and I noticed that as I was reading it. That's what made this book really stand out at the time. Because when you have this book that's coming out, I mean, these the first three issues took place before Superman was blue, and so that mm-hmm. you know that's concurrent with that book we reviewed before. It's a totally different kind of writing style. I remember reading this in 97. We were in college. I remember mm. reading this and had my mind absolutely blown. So the, the personal touch is that I, we, I gave it to my buddies who, were, who had been into comics as kids but had fallen out of them. I said, you, if, you, if you want to know what comics are about right now, read this book. And they all read it. And then a few years later, maybe a year later, two years later, they, you were roommates with those, those same guys. And they gave you that same book. And... Turns you back onto comics through JLA. So yep. this, this is the and book I've been that reading since then. brought Josh back into comics and brought us together as comic friends. And mm-hmm. it changed everything in terms yeah. of, we, and we've discussed this on the, on the Pick the Week show, it changed how superhero teams were formed going forward. Mm-hmm. Basically, from this point forward, and there, there were some exceptions, the Justice League has mostly been about the big members of the, of the DCU. When Bendis took over Avengers, he said, I want to make the Avengers more like the Justice League. So that's why you got Spider-Man and you got Wolverine and you got guys like that on the team. Mm-hmm. Gone is the era of Dr. Druid on the on the Avengers and Firestorm on Justice League. It's it's all about 
you know, it's almost the same lineup now as it was back in 97 in terms of the, the character archetypes. If you see as the story opens, the, the previous Justice League, that's sort of a time-honored tradition happened with Keith Giffen too. The old team is sort of dispatched and it's got a very, very weird-looking metamorpho and it's got an Atom Smasher and Ice Maiden who wasn't <laughs> even ice and and they, they are dispatched quickly and the Justice League is, has to form again and it's, it's all the big guys. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash... Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern is the only sort of new guy on the team. Martian Manhunter and Aquaman. And that's your big your big seven. On that note, before we move on to the, the team as it exists, I don't know a lot about Metamorpho, but I always think that I really like the character specifically because of this little bit in it. He's great. Like he does. He it, like he's really interesting. He does a really super smart and super heroic thing. And it's he's the one where I'm like, I want to read the book that Grant Morrison would have written about that guy. Right. I think that every time I read this, I was like that. And, and, and I say that it's important. It's the first thing that happens in this book. Right. Like it's, it, which is really fascinating. A heroic sacrifice. And, the, you know, he dies. Yeah. He gets a statue in the statue garden, which is a little detail I love. That panel of him, like after he crashes. And I never forget that image either. Yeah. Something about that always sticks with me where, he, you know, he's, he's, and there's a line that says something like, like, was he dead? And it was like, he's more like inert. And I was like, "That's brilliant!" Like it's just yeah. There is a there is a, a a lightness. This is what I said. It has a foot in the past a little bit, but there's a voice that Grant Morrison has in this that he does not have anymore. Well, so he was 37 years old when this really? came out. Not a young pup, but he had done Doom Patrol. He had done those, you know, Invisibles. But he wasn't he wasn't really a big mainstream guy at this point. Yeah, and I th- I think you know the the Invisibles, the Doom Patrol, those kind of things. I think if you were to read those now you would be like oh yeah that's grant morrison whereas this not as clear he, he definitely did a voice for this and it's a voice that's very recognizable later on as sort of his superhero stuff yep. and I, i'm looking at the sales numbers and interesting the sales built on this because this when this launch mm-hmm. it did respectable numbers but it grew it started off what? around in, in the 78 yeah, the the, yeah I'm, I'm, well if wikipedia can be believed right it launched at seventy-eight thousand, and then by you know 10 issues in it was doing one hundred and eleven thousand. by the way I mean, if a book launches at seventy eight thousand now, yeah, pop the cork. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is also during like the worst time in, in comics history. If that gives you any idea, right? Economically. So there's a couple of things happening here. This is as we talked about. There's nine issues of the series, which covers I think three stories. Yeah. The opening story in which the, the uh, an alien race that comes down to Earth and very quickly unseats the Justice League as everyone's favorite superheroes and starts to marginalize the Justice League. And there's a big reveal. And there's, there's a spoiler warning here. If you've never read this book, there's going to be spoilers. They are revealed to be white Martians, and, and that's that's one of the great all-time Justice League stories. And then there's a... Um, immediately we start a membership drive, because I think he had the idea early on that he wanted a 12-person team, which almost flies in the face of what we said earlier about him wanting to be the, the big guys, because he did end up adding steel. He ended up adding people like that. But it launched in, as, the big, as the big guys. Mm-hmm. So the membership drive, and they, you know, they add a. There's a great character piece about the woman from Tomo- of Tomorrow. Yeah, it was a robot. Was like a, was that, a, again, that was not a real Grant Morrison story. It was very like, like a classic sort of almost like like a like a '60s sort of uh, like a one age. shot of morality. Yeah, he's yeah. always been a very well, silver agey writer. You're right. I was as I was saying it. I was like, no, I'm wrong. Was it one issue with her? I think it was just one issue. I think. Where I, Dr. Ivo and Tio Morrow build an android to infiltrate the Justice League and they take her on as a team member and she sort of becomes self-aware and fights against their programming and 
and ends up dying also and also gets a statue in the in the statue garden because she had proved herself uh, for the team. Yeah. I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on that, but by by far the, my favorite part of that is is the two mad scientists <laughs> talking to each other and then after she turns good, they don't get mad about it. They're like, "Look what I've done." <laughs> like and they open champagne. It was the best. It was not very Do you no. remember how good he did his mad scientist in 52? Yes. He's good. Remember he had uh whoever it was like on eBay. I don't remember I the details. Ugh, it, like they had a basically there was a bit in that he wrote in 52 that was all the, the mad scientists. It may have been Ivo and Dr. Morrow and, and a bunch of those characters. And at one point, like he had one guy bidding on eBay as their master plan was going. He's like, not now. We're about to win. And like, just, he's really good at those characters. Well, my favorite part of that story is that so that's the first appearance of Superman Blue, the electric Superman. So he goes to the Batcave. And the entirety of dealing with this is Batman says, interesting outfit, and Clark says, interesting times. And that's it. And they don't deal with it ever again, which was yeah, great. However, there are bits where, like, but then after that, he does own, he doesn't act like it's not Blue Superman. There's some No, no, no. Really- it, it, it's, he plays with the powers, but that's the most he explains right. what's going on is yes, exactly. interesting but, times. But I did notice there's a bit where, basically, he reverses something to put poles on the moon with his powers and and i was like that's fucking brilliant like it was brilliant well this was this was the deep the deep thinking grant morrison into yeah he's taking that that british style of of comic writing into the justice league and and i remember you know the 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 next story where he introduces zareel the the angel character who he originally was going to be called hawkman but they didn't hawkman was uh radioactive at the time so they didn't call him hawkman that's the story where superman wrestles the the evil angel or the demon Asphodel. That's one of the all-time great moments, too. That's one I, I think about a lot, too. He also moves to the moon. Oh. Like, he, he really does play with the, the powers there. And it was... I mean, this is a great run. And it ends with like, the multi-part Green Arrow story where they, they recruit Green Arrow to join the team. It's Connor Hawk. Because at this point, Hal was dead. Oliver was dead. A lot of those Silver Age guys were dead. And so it was their legacy characters. And Barry was dead, obviously. They've all been captured by the key. And they're all living in these fantasy worlds. So he gets to play with telling his Elseworldsian stories for the main characters while Green Arrow, the least powered member, is running around the Watchtower trying to save the day. And I thought that was a really great story, too. Yeah, that was good. That was really good, actually. Because you get a lot of credits of this. You get a lot of people talking about Batman alone in the third issue, you know, and how he's yeah. the one who sort of undoes everything. But uh, they gave they gave Green Arrow, and I say Green Arrow, and I want to be like, it's not actually even Green Arrow. It's Connor Hawk. You know, they give him his, his, his really good, Good moment, and I don't know. That was also excellent. I think the is it not Asriel, the angel story, Zoriel, Zoriel. I think that was my favorite story out of this. It's interesting because I don't. As a kid, I wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character I'm not into. But I liked the story a lot. I just don't care about yeah. him as a character. So when he goes away, this finds me. Yeah, no, the character. I mean, I thought it was ballsy to be like, no, we're gonna do. And this is, I mean, it's not so far. When was was preacher going on at this point? Ninety seven had to be, yeah. A lot of this kind of stuff was in Preacher too, where the the angels weren't angelic necessarily. Right. There was a lot of other stuff going on. There was you know scandal to it, which is very real, and also uh, uh, Hellblazer. It's a lot of that. So that sort of fit in with the the stuff at the time. Yep. But I I thought it was ballsy to you know put him you know not on the Justice League, but more or less. I thought there's a really interesting bit where and it stood out to me that Flash is talking to Superman, and 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 Superman like has this moment of doubt. Where he's just like, I don't know, everybody expects a lot from me. And I was like, that's yeah. weird that he would say that. And then later, like, he just sort of 
effortlessly, not really effortlessly, but, but personality wise, just he does the thing. He doesn't he doesn't give himself credit for it, but he, you know, he stands up to this character, you know, who Asmodel, who's more powerful than anybody can imagine, you know. Yeah. And it was a really big moment. So let's talk about the team dynamics. So you've got mulleted Superman in the beginning, which is unfortunate because mm-hmm. our hard porters art uh, doesn't shy away from it. I mean, one of the other bits I just want to I want to get this is we're yeah. going to talk about Grant Morrison. I want to get to Howard Porter, but we, we, um, we yeah, no, I I just one of the things I really like, and we'll touch on this as we go through it, but I want to make sure that I get it. He gets so much better. It's not bad at the beginning, but by the end, I was like, he's killing it. Yeah, I really thought that. Anyway, go ahead. So Superman is obviously the main guy, but he's uh, he's not the main character. I really like the Flash Kyle dynamics. Wally. So Wally is ostensibly the youngest person, but then Kyle comes along because Hal's dead. So now Wally has someone to look down on. And that's all we really want. Now you famously don't like Kyle. No, I don't like Kyle. What were your thoughts on him in this? I wasn't happy at the time. I'm not, I'm saying now though. Oh, now as an, as an adult, you know, he's, he works as that character who is, who is like, Oh shit, I'm in a room with Superman and Wonder Woman. You know, he, he, he's a kitty pride. You need that character. You know what I love about him, that I always have loved about him, is that he had more fun with his constructs. Yeah, well, he's an artist, so yes, yes. Yeah, I know, but I, I love that aspect. I remember reading a, I think it was a Chuck Dixon, like a little prestige book, and like he had to go across the cosmos, and like he created a monster truck for himself to drive in through space, mm-hmm. and I laughed. And I just thought he would do stuff like that, and Hal never did. And I, and I, I always thought that was a fun, his mask is dumb, basically. Other the mask is terrible, but... They're they're a really fun duo, and you, yeah. it's fun to have someone totally overwhelmed by by the experience. Martian Manhunter is a big a big character in this. He's the classic you know emotional pillar. He's he's the one you'll find unrecognizable now in comics. This is my when I think of Martian Manhunter, this is who it is. Yeah, like this is the one that set the tone for me on that character. Aquaman is reluctantly on the team, and he's the angry okay. you know post hand getting cut off, long hair, bearded, weird weird chest plate Aquaman. But he's also he's kind of surly and realistic in a way yeah like there's times where he's like he's he's angsty and pissy but then he's like no that is kind of cool like <laughs> he's got a lot of that going on which i like wonder woman she's not in it a ton i mean she's there but she's you know she's not one of the main characters a little formless and batman obviously this is you know garrett moore's would go on to do years of batman so this is his early yeah. early take on batman i want to mention so 97 this was two years after they gave him the all-black suit when he returned after he lost the mantle to uh, Jean-Paul Valley. He came back with an all-black suit that looked a lot like the one from the movies. And uh, just in case you wondered if that's a new, new phenomenon or not. I thought he had that suit in this book, and I had somehow memories of that. So when I was reading this this trade, he's in the classic, you know, sort of darker but re- but blue and gray suit. I thought, I thought they recolored it, so I put the call out to... Oh, I saw that. I meant to ask you what that Our was. Our patrons, and uh, they all confirmed with the original issues that this was not recolored, so I wanted to thank Edward and Keith, uh, who are patrons, who helped me make sure I wasn't losing my mind. He is wearing the classic suit here. Now, what you should know is that I could have answered that question because at that first San Diego Comic-Con that I went to, I bought the number one issue, which I had not owned, and I have it here available. I think I may have given those away. I paid $17 for it, and it seemed like the most money in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I have not recouped my money. You didn't recoup it? 
this will surely be worth the investment. I think the, the story everyone remembers is, is the first story, the Martian story. That's the one that kicks it off. This band of white Martians who all have powers or sort of similar to... They all have John Jones's powers. They're all similar to Superman. Right. So they all, there's a guy who looks like the Flash because he runs really fast and there's a Superman-like character. They, they all sort of, sort of mimic the Justice League and they, and they end up totally marginalizing the team and subduing all of them except for Batman who they sort of dismiss as no threat because he's, he's just a human. Did you notice that it was interesting that like this is basically a populist authoritarian storyline? Then I was yeah. like, well, this is appropriate. <laughs> I do have a question about Batman for you. Yeah. Uh, in the context of this, I, I I I assume it isn't, but this doesn't. This is is this one of the first modern instances of like Batman is the best and can do everything, or did that exist? Prior it's pretty to early, this? especially in this context of being like, oh, he, he's he's always got a plan, and he's he's not right. You can't take him out. Yeah, because I don't know that I've read a lot of Justice League before this, and I wasn't sure. I was like, was that always his personality, or is that something that, you know, that this helped her? This is definitely a, a level up in that scenario. Interesting. And this particular story where he, he's the one that figures out they're Martians, he's the one that uses the fire against them and saves the day, is is definitely something kind of new. Oh, I like that even more then. Let's talk about Howard Porter. Okay. I love the way he draws... Batman is sort of demonic and he has sharp fingers and he has this weird body language to him. So Howard Porter, this wasn't his first work. He did The Ray. That was his first work three years prior. It was a short run series with Christopher Priest. And then he did the 95 summer event, because that was when the events happened in the summertime, called Underworld Unleashed that Mark Wade wrote. There's some elements of that. Neron is in this. He's the, he's the demon that brings the, in the Zuriel story. He was the bad guy in that story. And then he was brought on to do JLA 97, which was his, like, a big major book he did. And he did that for, I think, I think he did three years on it. It was, it was a pretty long run. But he's still very green. You can see it. He's raw. And I know. Yes. Modern eyes might not like it, but I really liked to see how raw he was and how you could still see the talent there and and how he improved. But also, like. It's almost like watching an Italian film from the 60s. Like Everyone's really emotional in their body language and in their spatial expressions. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the heightened aesthetic of it. It was something I really enjoyed. Yeah, and, and I, I think that I think it did take me a little time to adjust because there's, I know, there's stuff about it that I can, I can understand the idea that if you have a modern sensibility with comic books and you look at it, your first instinct is, of, oh, this is earlier and rougher. And you could see like some of the stuff about Batman's costume is a little different. You can see everything is super grim. But as you get past that first issue, which is really good, I think, for the time, really dynamic, very mm-hmm. exciting. Um, as you get into the second and the third stories, the the layouts take like a step up. Like all of a sudden he hit his stride and he was like comfortable. And he's like, I know exactly what this needs. And I think that he doesn't get enough credit for giving this the energy that he did. The layouts are extremely dynamic. You'll have these these pages with uh, like a a big thing will be happening. Then there's panels panels overlaying. The panels are are three dimensional, and then there's a ton of perspective even in one sort of long narrow panel. Yeah. You know, on that page where there's two or three things happening. He's working with a lot here. There's these characters all over the place, always in action on every page, and the, the inks are flying off the page. It, he's breaking panel borders like he's really pushing it. He has his. I don't call them tricks, but I, yeah. things I really like. He really likes the character coming right at you in the panel. Yeah. Almost reaching off the page. He really likes the character flying right at you. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a Flash page, uh, page 59, your digital reader, 
where he's running right at you. He really likes to put the action right in your face. Yeah. I really like that a lot. Some of that's kind of classic Kirby. And in yeah. that one that you're talking about, like, he's out of the panel. His knee, foot, and hands are coming out of the – which is that, you know, sort of 3D effect. Yeah. You know, but even that, like, he's – that that page actually only has five panels on it. But look how much is going on. Yes. The blurs in the background. He didn't just draw blurs. There are people back there who are fuzzy. There are, you know – the 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 lightning is crackling all over all over um Wally. Wally and then then the one after that's a really quiet panel you know where there's a castle in the background you just see the lines going across the water i, I mean everything is like that it's hyperkinetic yep and there's pages like that all through this god i love pages where they I don't think it fits in modern comics anymore, but there was a thing for a while where they would uh, integrate the sound effects into the panel shape Mm. Like at one point he hits like sonic boom speed. And so uh, actually, oh, no, no. Barry hits their no, uh, zoom <laughs> Z umlaut U M hits the ground. There are four vertical panels going down. The oh, panel yeah, that he that. hits, yes. it says wump. <laughs> like, That's awesome. Or wham. I can't even w- tell. It doesn't matter. H U. I don't know. He made, a, he made a very loud sound that I it's can't. Wood. It's W A W. H-U-D-D-D. Oh, uh, wood. Wood. That makes sense. Which is perfect. Yeah. Like, as I kept going, I kept noticing more and more of those panels, and I was like, nobody draws like this anymore. You're right. I think it's everyone's constantly moving. Yeah. it's You know what it reminds me of is it's a little Matteo Scolari mm. in that sort of energy, in that everything is amped up a little bit. That page with the, the what is it, the pedal... The petal of whatever the, the Martian tor- the flower of wrath. Oh yes, you know it's all canted and like people are standing on all different levels and like it's got you know all the little pointy things coming out of it. Like everything is like that. Well, it's a Silver Age book that's done in a more modern style, right? That's yeah. kind of what Grant Morrison's whole whole superhero aesthetic is. And with Howard Porter, he found someone who really could bring that energy to crank the energy up. And and whether or not you like the way. He renders things. It's it's undeniable the amount of energy on every page, and there's no and wasted also, pages. There's no there's no, no cheated pages. There's no you know. No. I, I'm not someone who necessarily complains about lack of backgrounds, but th- there's a lot going on in all these pages. Like I said, we had that person who wrote in. And it's probably why we did this. Like you know, subconsciously, it's like I didn't like the art in in this in this book, and I'm reading it now, and I was like, I don't understand how you could say that. I did like right at the beginning, but as I kept going through it, I was like, if you this is going to sound snobby, but like if you're putting context and storytelling and all those things in there and you think, well, what's Grant Morrison? Well, Grant Morrison's a guy who loves and values the Silver Age, but he's not from that time. So he does it on its own. And you're like, wow, the editor nailed it Yeah. by putting Howard Porter on this. Nailed it. In exactly the reason you just said. I also couldn't understand it. Like he's green. You know, the faces are not necessarily always match up. And mm-hmm. some things you're like, oh, the, he should have fix the perspective on that but it's almost like that's beside the point it's like seeing a band who doesn't necessarily completely polished but has all the energy and passion in the way they're playing and that's kind of like what all the energy and passion is in the art it just may not I be the most polished perfect, art in the world perfect metaphor it's definitely the case because it's it's just like it's tons of energy and it's tons of movement it's exactly the tone that it needs to be and whether it's sort of not letter perfect and how those faces and hands and all that stuff works. It doesn't matter, which is, you know, which is a lot why a lot of people would say they like Rob Liefeld. Right. 
Which is fine. But, I mean, that thing is ours. Everybody personal. draw your own line. Everyone has their what what they like. Now I was I was reading this and wondering why is this working? But did we discuss it in the last books blow when we talked about Avengers? But why is this working? But modern team books seem to fall kind of flat. I got a little bit of sense that a lot of modern team books are trying to do this. Hmm. As opposed to come up coming up with the next thing that is right for now. I mean, we have so much stuff that reaches back to what came before and trying to recapture, which I guess this one was doing too to a certain extent, but it, it had been long enough. I don't know. I don't know if the bag of tricks has been used up and putting the team together has just been done so many times that it doesn't feel like it's fresh. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't I don't have an answer for it, but. You know, when this book was coming out, when Bendis was doing New Avengers, those books felt vital and important. And like, you, if you were following those wor- worlds and universes, you had to be reading those books. And I don't know that, as much as I'm enjoying a- Avengers, which I really am, mm-hmm. I don't know that it feels vital. Like, you have to be reading the Avengers books. Well, I mean, you can absolutely see, I think, I think you can see the influence that this has on Jason Aaron's Avengers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, I don't know, was the first, was, the, was it three issues for the first arc? You know, it's a... Big team, they they they're taking they're all kind of doing it because they have to, you know, like somebody somebody has to do it. We're not necessarily here, but for it, but this is what it has to be, and we'll 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 try it again. And you know, it ha- and it was you know a big huge world world beating thing. I don't know. I, I think I do think that there's things that I mean, we talked about like this exists in two times. There's things in this that that Grant Morrison can get away with that you could not get away with now, primarily because comic books were still kind of for kids at this point and now they're just not mm-hmm. and so there's all of these sort of expectations and masters that you have to satisfy now that I don't think Grant Morrison had to worry about also I don't think Grant Morrison ever has to worry about it because he's Grant Morrison but you know like he he could say it was for kids and make it impressive on his own and sort of do both things whereas now you know everybody reading comic books for 40 year old dudes it's just interesting I mean I would never say if you weren't reading Avengers, you're not missing anything. If you're not reading Justice League, you're not really missing anything. But if you weren't reading this at the time, you were missing something. And and that's just, well, it's just interesting to see that. Extrapolate that out, then. What comic are you? do you need to be reading now, or you're missing something? I, what do I mean is to, to, to feel like you are reading the heart of the universe. Mm-hmm. Like, this was, the, I'm, heart, I'm this was the heart of the universe. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what the... I think everything is so siloed now, and everything is so. Yeah. Everyone's in their own world. Everyone's every book's always been somewhat siloed, but it just everything is written for its own trade, and it's siloed, and it doesn't feel like there's a connective tissue to the universe. Like the, like even back I mean, in that, when Bendis was doing it in the early two thousands with with the Avengers, and it, that has that has its benefits too. Like everybody sure. gets to get what they want. I would say largely that. I mean, I've come around, and we talked about this in the show a lot, but like a lot of comic books aren't fun anymore, mm. and. I'm, I'm tired of it. Like, now I get a book that's fun. There's just like this. All these books flows, these last chunk of them that we've done, like, our big thing is like, boy, that was fun. <laughs> and it, it just highlights how not fun so many comics are. They're dour. Today. But because they're, yeah. Speaking of fun, I want to talk. I loved all this all the way through. And also, we didn't mention the last issue, The Secret Files, was like a, their secret origin, which was mm-hmm. they had a mission together before the mission, the first issue. And they fought Starro, which is a callback to the original Justice League. And that was fun, too. My favorite issue, I think, of all these issues, which was really great, was the uh, Woman of Tomorrow story. 
Mm-hmm. And I think because I really, really loved the membership drive. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just, it was a chance to see a bunch of characters come through. You know, they, they're doing, a, it's basically like a comedy bit in the middle where they interview a bunch of people on Max Mercury and Damage and. Tommy Monahan. Tommy, not... Tommy Monahan, my favorite bit was the Hitman bit where, you know, we, we, we mentioned, we did a whole bunch of book explodes on Hitman and. Uh, he was he was a Garth Ennis character who hated superheroes, and this was totally like a little funny joke at poking at their expense. And I laughed out loud when he was leaving, and Aztec was coming in. He said, "Don't mention money; they don't like it." I just laughed. I laughed <laughs> out loud on my couch. It, I it just, just got I, me. I like the line. Two panels before that, I've got X-ray vision and telepathy, and I kill super people for money. And I'm just like, that's. It's so good that he existed there. That it still makes no sense that that was that was in the mainstream DC proper. Right. right, it's crazy. And then you know that's where they get Green Arrow from, and that's where other people come from. But that that was just my. I thought this was a really great. I mean, they they had a couple more pages than they do now, but I mean, this story didn't feel like it was a quick. This felt very meaty. Yeah. Had a lot going on. You learned. You had a whole arc with this character. It it it, it took a lot of time. It was also, really emotionally impactful at the end when she sacrifices. Yeah, it. there's also like though, I mean, like he, he's getting away with putting a lot of dialogue on a page. Yeah. If I went by my rules of comics today and I looked at a lot of these pages, there's too much, too many words on that page. Does not feel like it when you read it, and I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt a little because it's from an earlier time, but mostly it wasn't painful. The dialogue is great, really good dialogue. That's why I always say it, it's all about the quality of the words. Yes. It's not about the number of words. It's the quality of words. And yeah, absolutely. He has the best words. But what was <laughs> what was I'm gonna move right on. What was great about that, I think my favorite thing is that basically they met her and after a very small amount of things, Superman's like, Yeah, you're in, whatever. <laughs> and that was such a silver, you know, bronze age kind of thing. Yeah. But also kind <laughs> of like no a Superman kind of thing, check. right? Like he's just like Yeah, hey, you want to join the team? You're cool. And she yeah, does. I love it. The implications of it, you can't think too hard because they can see through her eyes and she's hanging out with them. So, And they call each other by their real names when they're hanging out. So you have to not worry about that and just sort of take the story for the meaning it's 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 using and, and enjoy Ivo, enjoy Tio Morrow arguing and bickering about studying oh. studying mad science at Harvard. And it was just so good. I think that was my favorite part of the whole thing, actually. <laughs> the, the reversal of them, instead of being mad about what happened, they were they were so pleased. They were with proud themselves. of themselves. Look at page one fifteen. Look at that bottom half panel with the, with the car on fire that's freaking out John, and it, the angle is so extreme from below, and it's just and Superman's really that's close. What I'm talking about. It's a great panel, and yeah, above that, it's, 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 the, the the flight path. Superman's cutting, so it's creating a panel border, and Wally's sort of floating above that. It's just the pages are really interesting. They're, they're really thoughtful. Like you don't get you don't get this kind of page just by. All right, here's I'm gonna put six panels on here and make some some you know and thumbnailing like the page is conceived of as a whole. Yeah, and and it's not just he is telling the story, which is the most important preeminent thing. But he's also like, how can I make this the most exciting dynamic thing possible to match with the story and the dialogue that that is in this script? And I, I don't know how this was produced. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it was full script or whatever, but it's. It's it's uh, it's aspirational. Swipe to the next page in the top panel of Wally running off the building and up the side. That's another great. Oh my panel. god, it's a great. His panel. perspective is off the charts. Yeah. Ugh. The next page, again, you know, like you're basically looking down. Yeah, over over Kyle's shoulder. 
Yeah, every one of them. That's what I start. This is when I started noticing, like, look what he's doing. Like, I, I don't see comics that look like this anymore. I see comics that are technically worlds above this and maybe even stylistically super impressive. But, like, w- what do you want from a Justice League comic? This is, I can't imagine anything better. I'm not going to compare him to Kirby because he's not. No, but, but, but when people who are younger are, are not as versed in comics look at Kirby and say, I don't get it. It's the same kind of thing. It's the energy and the action and the perspective and the dynamism. And, and Porter's got it in spades. Yeah. He doesn't have the level of draftsmanship that Kirby had or other artists have, but he, he has star power. You know, it's like a movie star. Why is Tom Cruise a movie star? It's an unknowable yeah. thing. You know, it's not his acting ability. It's this unknowable ingredient that Porter has in his art that makes him, a, at the time, a superstar artist. I see a lot of Kirby in this. I mean... Those, you know, Kirby by way of of Neil Adams, which leads to this. Yeah. It's that breaking the panel border. It's that hand reaching out towards you. It's that, you know, dynamic, that urgency. Like that all comes from Kirby. And Kirby's draftsmanship, one thing or another, it was much more stayed because it was new then. So they were able to stand on top of that and take it further. And there there are definitely stuff from the 90s that tried to do that too that was not good. Mm -hmm. But uh, it works here. Yeah. It's a it's a really good collection. It I'm is. really glad it, it it was meaty. I mean, it would have been fine if it was just the first one, but I really like that we got to go all the way through, through the Zareel story, through the Woman of Tomorrow story, through the Green Arrow story. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to end on that Green Arrow story because I loved that. It was sort of a capper on that first that first sort of segment because after this we start adding members of the team. And the next story is uh, Apocalypse, I think. Rock of Ages was was one of my favorites, yep. and that that was an amazing amazing story. That this was a this. really a special, a really special time for. Let's talk about Oscar Jimenez just a little bit because he is I, he yeah. does do a couple of issues here with the the Green Arrow story. I really liked his art at the time, and I don't I don't think I remembered how weird it is. Like it, it has a much more it feels like art you could see now. It does, but also it's a little strange. Like uh, like look at that first page of Tamar Ray giving the ring right. to Superman. Like yeah, he's a little weird. There's a lot of lines yeah, he, in weird places, and he, I, it's hard to put your finger on why, but it's it's a little strange, and I like it. As we get from there into the next couple of pages, though, the sort of human stuff, it looks more modern to me. Yeah, oh, for sure it's more modern. It's definitely, you know, you would see something that looks like this now a lot more often than you would see something that looks like Howard Porter. And I think that the coloring of the time here belies that. Mm-hmm. But as you get to like the Superman, like Superman looks like a hu- like a real person. Yeah. Where he doesn't. Howard Porter's don't look like real people. Yes, I remember as, as a kid, and this is almost like Carlos Pacheco like, but a little bit a little bit stranger. As a kid, I was like, "Whoa, this is." I mean, I liked it a lot. It, it's just mm-hmm. it's really interesting. This story is so good though, with Connor having to use his dad's trick arrows from the trophy room, mm-hmm. and he didn't use those kind of arrows, so it was all that was a great. I love that. Arc for that. that was good. Also, you got to give uh, Jimenez credit for the uh, decrepit old Joker. Yeah, great drawing, creepy. Yep, really creepy. Um, I like. I love that he got to play with, you know, these Elseworld stories. So, Wonder Woman's sort of like Indiana Jones esque story, and uh, mm-hmm. Flash is this strange sort of uh, almost Kingdom Come inspired story where he's he looks like Jay a little bit covered in the Speed Force, and you know, Batman's apocalyptic story where the Joker's. You know, going to kill his family, and that was creepy. And Superman is—he's—he's he's also Green Green Lantern for some reason. But I just—it was just yeah, a lot of imagination in those stories. I want—I got to give Morrison credit for this sort of really wacky key character. 
like he's sort of self-referential a lot and he's he doesn't quite come off as being like mustache twirling dastardly he thinks he's a genius but there's also like an element of oh what about oh yeah that's a problem <laughs> like there's there's like there's a great flashback at one point to the original appearance back in the 60s and here he's sort of like that character who has been turned up to 11 and but is self-aware enough to realize he's being kind of ridiculous and it was it, this is a this is a really great issue this run is a really good run did really you see on run. um it's we're back to the the first page of the the secret files okay which would be like 225 Yes. There's a cop who's who's behind. That's Stan Lee, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's like that's weird. That's, that's strange. Definitely Stan Lee. Yeah. Well, interesting thing about Porter is so uh, for this particular collection, he re- he drew a new cover. Mm. It recalls the original covers, so you can swipe back and forth if you're on your iPad. You can. Oh swipe. wow! And it's interesting to see because Howard Porter still works fairly regularly. We talk about his works, you know, every now and then on the show. In my head, he, his art hadn't changed that much. But if you swipe back and forth, it has changed a hell of a lot. Yeah. And he has actually a lot of Oscar Jimenez in him now. And the characters mm-hmm. look a bit more human. Uh, there's a bit more weight to their faces and their bodies as opposed to being very lithe and, and sharp yeah. before. So it really is an interesting way to see how much he has grown in the last 30 years as an artist. Yeah. It's interesting. He is one of those guys where I kind of like, I, I, you know, this was, this was the first comic book that I read basically from the, the modern era. And I was always like, well, where'd that guy been? So, like, he would do a thing every once in a while, and I, I would, I would, oh, Howard Porter, and I'd get excited just because this made me so happy. He did a um, Shazam, guess, yeah. Captain Marvel thing with Judd Winnick at one a miniseries at one point uh, that was real good, too. Um, he's great. He's like a DC artist to me. Like, he's great. What's funny is in the new cover, he, he can tell he kind of only, he's only begrudgingly drawing the mullet on Superman. It's very much hidden behind his head. <laughs> if you didn't look closely, you wouldn't even see the sort of wisps yeah. of curls behind his neck, but. Little flip. God, that was a mistake on every level. He's taken it. He's taken. Well, it was at the time. Everybody, I get it. The, the mullet was a mistake in general. <laughs> it just shouldn't have been, but it was, and it got everywhere. And what can you do about it? I, I, it's interesting to me is that now we see him a lot of time on Flash, and I, to me, he's taken a lot of Scott Collins kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I think, unexpected. I can, yeah. and I can see that on this new cover. Uh, but then, didn't he hurt his hand really badly? Like, I think that's what happened. Was he possible? He had, he had really badly injured his drawing hand at one point, and, I remember uh, hearing that. and had to sort of heal from that, and sort of I don't know if he so yeah so in 2006 when he was doing Trials of Shazam with Judd Winnick he couldn't finish because he hurt his hand, severed a nerve almost almost the entire tendon in his thumb, and it took him years to recover, and so his, That's his, very his, sad. his art's a little different. But you see him now regularly, Justice mm-hmm. League 3000, Good. Superman Beyond, Superman work he's done. Like I said, I, I read this probably 10 years ago the last time. Mm-hmm. I liked it back then, but I was a little worried that I would read this and go, oh, no, it isn't good. But it, well, I was Not wrong. the case. It was very good. Yeah, it was It was really fun to read. And even though, like I said, even though the pages looked really dense, you know, it, it read really fast. It did read really in fast. In a good way. I was really impressed. Because I thought, oh, shit, this is longer than I thought. I'm in trouble. But then I, I, I flew through it. Yep. Just like the pages and the art, the story moves really fast as well. It's really enjoyable. Like it is a comic from 22 years ago, and you know, I mean, I think we could use more comics that are like this now. For sure, for sure, definitely. So this is JLA New World Order DC Essential Edition, story by Grant Morrison, art by Howard Porter, Oscar Jimenez, and then there's John Dell, Ken Branch, Chip Wallace, Hannibal Rodriguez were inkers, 
Pat Garahay and John Calise is a colorist. A lot of these guys you see, there's their names you still see every every, sure. every week. Ken Lopez was the editor, the letter in all these books, and really fun. If you've never read these comics, just check it out. I mean, I it, it's yeah, worth it, it. You know, if you don't you don't end up with this version, basically it's, it's there's a lot of versions. Nine. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of yeah, versions. There's, out there. there was there was short trades. They were three issues a piece. Or That's six, true. maybe less than that. They were they were really short. I think the first trade was just the first three issues, and then the second one was sort of the second half of this book. So it would have gone you know four through nine. And then the hardcovers that collected more, they put out like yep. four hardcovers that did the whole Morrison run. Like we said, if you've never read a comic from this era, the art might be a little challenging at first, but stick with it. Really, sort of look at what what's going on on the page. It's really worth checking out. Lots of fun. Great versions of these characters. They're very classic. Mm-hmm. Very iconic. I had such fun reading this book. I'm glad we found another fun book to read. So now the pressure's on yep. for two months from now. I think next time we're going to definitely not do a comic from the 90s that we loved. We're going to have to we have to switch it up. Never say never, Josh. Come back. All right. I'm not. Listen, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. All right. So this is JLA. Whatever it takes. If you have thoughts, go to iFanboy. They'll be posted uh, for the show. You can tell us. And then, so this show is unlocked by the patrons. It, it switches off with the Talksplode, which is Josh's interview show. So next month there'll be a Talksplode. And we'll be back with another book's load in two months. When we know what it is, we'll let you know. And until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks so much. Satellite. Satellite.